it has felt like forever. I know. I don't think it's the longest we've gone without releasing an episode. I think we've probably gone a little longer before, but I think this may have been one of the longest stretches of us not video chatting in some capacity. I know. There was like a period after college where we didn't talk for like (laughs) two years, three years, and then this. So, I mean, like, that's not half bad, like, for 15 plus years, right? Like, that's right. I don't want to, I didn't want to go like setting any kind of new records or anything. Right. But I think every, every successful relationship needs a little bit of, you know, time apart to recharge. Oh, you needed a break? What? No. Who said that? (laughs) I didn't say that. I said every successful relationship oh, okay, needs, okay. needs okay. the time away. Yeah. <laughs> so try to pay sense. attention. Try to pay attention to the language you've all agreed upon here. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Steve. And this is a podcast for creatives. Two friends talking about the complex, messy, and beautiful experience that is being a creative. So since we haven't really talked, I wanted to get right to the important question, which is what have you been watching lately? I mean, forget, I mean, I'm assuming that you're, you and your family are, are well, or I would have heard otherwise. All and good. Yep. Forget, forget work. Who cares what you're working on? I just want to know what you're watching. I haven't changed a whole hell of a lot since the last time we talked. I'm still very much into uh, really just the crown. Okay. Um, I've spent a lot of um, the last two months, probably to outsiders, going through episodes of the crown at a grueling pace and by grueling i don't mean like i'm speeding through it just to get through it i mean like i'm like stretching this out as long as i can do it uh but that's kind of where i've been is uh i'm in the middle of season three of the crown right now and i have one more to go um and i am taking my sweet time as i go through it i love it and i remember mention of snacks being involved like you're you're really like milking this for all it's worth and savoring the experience, if you will. I find having a cup of tea while watching <laughs> The Crown is the perfect accompaniment to this royal life. You feel like you're having tea with the queen. It's, uh, it's, you have to do it. I just wanted to, I know that the audience can hear our voices. Just to clarify that this is, that's Steve talking, not Michelle, who is yeah. watching The Crown cre- and creating a royal experience with tea as he does so yeah well, all right well it's just a cup of tea there was a good chance that there would have been a cup of tea anyhow but it just seems to fit a lot more with the crown so well that sounds lovely and not just watching of the crown because it's a great show but the experience of it and and going slow I don't know if you ever experienced this but I find that whenever I sit down to watch tv by myself like not with Jimmy just me and it's not like while I'm working or doing something else it's dedicated tv or movie watching time I end up spending a good 45 minutes just rotating through all the streaming platforms that I have access to seeing what's new watching a million trailers and never actually landing on something that I'm super satisfied with like I'm always kind of second guessing my choice before you started this nice crown watching experience did you have you experienced something like that before 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what I hate about watching the trailers, though, is how sometimes on Netflix, like, you get a legitimate trailer, and then sometimes it's, like, the first 45 yes! seconds of the episode, and then it just cuts off as you're, like, starting to understand <laughs> what it is. They really need to have, like, an all-or-nothing-at-all rule. Like, either have trailers, which is really the way they should do it, mm -hmm. real trailers, or don't have any of them at all, because it is not helping me out to, like, get... 45 seconds down this road and then get cut off. It makes me not want to watch it. Completely agree. And it's, and it's disorienting that sometimes they trick you. And I think, is this a trailer or is this just the first scene? And then once you realize that it's just the first scene or a scene, it's annoying. I, yeah. I appreciate a good trailer. I also don't like when you're trying to read the description of it and the trailer starts to play. Mm-hmm. Because I cannot, I'm really being picky about my trailer watching habits right now. It's like, I don't, I'm just saying how much before that I need them. And now I'm just like, okay, slow your road trailer. I'm trying to read the description here. But that's what happens. It's like, I'm trying to like understand it. And then all of a sudden it starts playing and I don't know which one to like dedicate my attention to. I think that's a viewer experience problem that Netflix and Hulu and the like really need to get a handle on. And the like, the like is growing to a point where I mean you know this is the first question I wanted to know after us not talking for a while was what are you watching how much I love tv film and there was a while where I was really excited by the amount of options that we have available to us but we just heard the latest platform to be released is Paramount Plus and I'm just like, enough already. I feel like it's it's gotten to be too much. There are too many streaming platforms. There are too many things to watch on demand. And it, it really has me pining for the old days where you would get excited because you knew that something, you saw something on the TV guide and you're like, all right, I gotta be home Friday at eight o'clock to catch that or Sunday night or whatever, and in the same way that I don't have this problem as much with music, but I think that there is something really special about that we got to live through a time where it was really exciting when a new song came out that you would wait to hear it on the radio or like when you caught it. It was such a magical feeling that kids today won't ever get to experience. I, I always find that interesting that some trends in in society end up looping back at some point in time. Fashion is really, uh, you know, a big player with this type of thing. But consumption habits seem to always just continue to evolve. I mean, our desire to want to be entertained remains, but the the method by which we are being entertained continues to get more and more personalized and more and more on on our time why do you feel like it's not something or do you feel like it's something that that industry would ever come would it ever swing back or are we just once we leave it in the dust we just continue to move on to find something you know more and more refined i think it has to swing back because i think it's not just I don't think that I'm the only person that's frustrated with yet another network coming out with a streaming service. And what's happening with 
these streaming services is kind of a reflection of what's happening to us as a society. It's the same thing that we're seeing on social media, where it's just, it's more, 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 more people, more stuff in your feed and and more buttons and more content. And we're just, (laughs) it's kind of ironic that Paramount's slogan is something like a, a mountain of entertainment. And now we're never going to get them as a sponsor, but that's okay. No, I was going to say, you just really <laughs> trashed that opportunity. But I feel like it's more like an avalanche and I feel like I'm I'm being buried. And I feel like I, as a consumer, am, am reaching my breaking point in so, on social media and in, you know, TV, movie content. And I think that eventually as a society, we are all going to get to that point where it's just either our brains need to be able to evolve to be able to like process more information, which I do think is will actually happen, but you know, we won't see it in our lifetime or we have to do something about it. We have to put new parameters into place or we need to be able to change how we consume our content or we need to change the accessibility to our content, which I know is kind of sounds like a weird thing to say, like, let's take some of this stuff away from us. I remember when Carly was on the podcast and she talked about Instagram and having to change the way that platform sort of handles its its oversaturation of content and just the need to keep scrolling or how it's being shown to you. You know, Netflix does a really good job, I think, of of knowing what it's listening to its audience and 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 understanding what what they want but it just seems like these other networks are are you know piggybacking or or these other streaming services are piggybacking off of the success of Netflix which is let's just take a bunch of whatever we do great throw it into a streaming platform and see if we can get people to jump into it and that might be a really short-sighted way of of explaining it but I think that's what feeds the the feeling that we're talking about, which is there's just way too much because where choice used to play a big role in consumption in years past, you know, in some of the examples that you cited before, we have more choices than we know what to do with now. And it doesn't always feel like we're the ones making them. And I think that's what makes it seem really uh, exhausting sometimes when you're trying to to uh, utilize these streaming platforms. You had shared an article with me earlier this week that is in a roundabout way touching on this topic. I mean, it was specifically about social media and how platforms like Twitter, I forget what else they mentioned on there, Clubhouse was mentioned. Yep. Um, TikTok. TikTok are starting to make tweaks that reflect some of what we were saying about being inundated with a lot of content. And one of the things that was mentioned in this article, which we will link to in the show notes at a podcast for creatives.com or pod for creatives.com, either one will work. One of the phrases that a lot of people who sell courses or coaching programs or really anything online uh, will often say is the transformation is in the transaction. And you can look at that one way and say, okay, that's really just 
a sales tactic, but I believe it to be true because if you are paying for content, you're going to use it. Um, Steve, I know for you, you subscribe to The Atlantic and you pay money for that every month. And I'm going to guess that you consume that content because you're paying for it more yeah, than other it's, sources. It's something that I it's something that I want to consume. And I think that's what kind of drives the the interest. It's something that it, it, to me, it would be no it was no different than doing, you know, subscribing to Sports Illustrated magazine when I was mm -hmm. a kid and uh, growing up. But now it's better writing, high quality writing. I want it. So I will pay for that. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there are going to be a lot of people who might be unhappy with me saying this or unhappy with maybe if things end up going this way. But I think that we're going to start to see a lot more of these paid type models. And personally, I'm excited by it. I'm excited to pony up for basically like my attention. And I think that the reason that that phrase is thrown around, the transformation is in the transaction, is because right now we don't have to commit. I mean, I don't know what the, the count is right now, but I'm just thinking about my Instagram feed. I follow over a thousand people and I probably only look at the content from, I don't know, 10 or 15 of them regularly. And I was just thinking about this before we started recording. I should really just go through that list and unfollow. I mean, get it down to at least a hundred. I think that that would feel somewhat more reasonable because I'm not looking at it anyway. And I think that all of us have social lists that look like this. I mean, Facebook came out when we were in college and when it came out, we just friended every person we knew that had access to the platform, which at the time was only people who had a college email address. So, you know, my list has people from high school and people from college who I haven't spoken. I mean, Facebook came out like at the very end of, of my time in college. So, so many of these people I haven't spoken to in over 15 years, high school people, 20 years. And what what is the point of us being connected if I don't really see us talking <laughs> anytime soon? Right. I think social media is really designed to be this environment that in an ideal world, it's there to make you feel connected and it's there to make you feel fulfilled. Um, but I think what tends to happen in these feed based platforms, you know, that, that, that currently exist present day is that you're less likely to feel that support and fulfillment and connection because it seems like you're almost being shouted at a lot. It seems like your your attention is getting sucked into other people's dramas, other people's things. It, 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 it draws away from that. I'm connected over something tangible and more or less I'm connected because this is what Facebook's showing me in the algorithm. You know, I, I have I have had an experience where the people who show in the algorithm, I'm not really sure why they show. I, I can't specifically tell you. It's not anyone, you know, that I search for. It's not anyone that that I interact with. But that's what continues to sort of populate. And 
that becomes your experience. That becomes where your your connectedness is 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 towards. And it feels like it's more of a bombardment of your time than time well spent in an area where you should be having those high attention relationships as opposed to low quality content, I'm going to call it, Mm -hmm. that's wasting your time and just feeding your addiction. So we started something new. I'm usually going to you with ideas. So I think I was so excited that I barely listened to what you said and I was like, you know what? Sure, let's do it. Could have said anything (laughs) right there at that point in time, couldn't I? Michelle and I grew up in the 90s and we've noticed, I think, over the years that a lot of the uh, references that we end up dropping in our podcast end up coming from that period in our childhood. We were a TV generation, so we remember a lot of these offbeat commercials and a lot of these things that um, were a part of our childhood. And I thought it would be fun to kind of like look back at them. We don't really watch commercials anymore in, in this day and age. You know, ads are usually something that we're doing anything that we could possibly do to skip over. Funny commercials or, or commercials with memorable jingles have stayed with us over the years. Uh, and this platform, this this commercial breakdown show gave us the opportunity to bring some of them back and, you know, relive a few of these moments with, with all of you and, you know, reflect fondly on them. So if you get a chance, go into one of our pod for creative social profiles or go to our website and look for commercial breakdown which is the name of our show i time this it takes literally four seconds of your time subscribe to our youtube channel and hit that thumbs up button if you have a friend or a sibling or someone um, that you remember talking to about the commercials that that we're showcasing certainly anywhere where you can share it we would really appreciate it when these changes come about inevitably it always leads to people talking about what it's going to mean for for them as creatives as as marketers communicators and i think this is Sometimes they warrant those conversations. Sometimes it, you know, the, the 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 changes just sort of reinforce what you should already be doing. But I think we're talking about something significantly different here, specifically with Twitter and specifically with this, you know, this pay for model. Those those included in communities, because I think what Twitter's done is they're listening to what the problems are that people have with their platform. And they're trying to find a way. I understand very clearly that this is not just about how the, how they can make life better for us. They want to get something out of this too. I get how business works. But putting something together that allows people to pay for something that is actually worth their time, that they want to be invested in. And I'm wondering as as a business owner, you know, people who listen to this podcast might be thinking, how is this going to work for them? Do you feel like there's an opportunity here to double down on what you might stand for when you're talking about, you know, building a small business and building an audience and knowing what matters to them and how you can sort of leverage some of these changes to get away from the shouting and the control based on an algorithm versus a pay for model that gives people exactly what they're looking for and how that might enhance their relationship with the brand? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> do everything that you just said. All right. 
You can retire now. Um, Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I think that step one in all this is getting even more comfortable with the idea that your content is not for everyone. And even though I have an understanding of that, I need to remind myself of that every day because it kind of goes against human nature. Like we want everyone to like us, but when we are making stuff, it's really not for everyone. And now that we live in a world where we can share the things that we make everywhere, there is, there's going to be competition and our attention is continued continually getting divided. Uh, so that competition is going to get more fierce. So instead of trying to compete with, I'll just bring this down to a small scale since <laughs> I, I don't like numbers, but so instead of trying to compete with, let's say a hundred people, just talk to 10 people that you know really want to be there. And I have found that anytime I do something like cut my email list, which I did in a very dramatic fashion a couple of years ago. I cut 35,000 people from my email list. All of a sudden, I felt like I was free to share my thoughts, to share what my brand and my business and my content was about. And I feel like my writing got better and my job became easier because every time I sat down to write something or to create something, I wasn't having that thought, oh, like, what if I'm bothering them or what if someone doesn't like this? Because when I had that extra 35,000, you know, subscriber weight on me, that was the case. I had people on my email list who, you know, who signed up years ago who were no longer in alignment with the new content that I was sharing. So I feel like as a creator, we should welcome a model like this. I really like the, the power of it being more intimate and, and, and conversational. So I always felt like that was the platform for the original purpose of something like Twitter to begin with. Um, you know, it's, it's finding people who have experienced similar things to what you've experienced or have had similar, you know, similar experiences and then you connecting with them over those shared experiences. And that got lost over time as the platform got, you know, uh, what I would say more and more in some cases homogenous, but also the vitriol that, that flew sort of kind of turned people away from, from that. You know, I heard I heard uh, Michael Che from Saturday Night Live a couple of years ago talk about Twitter and say, you know, it's like you gave everyone who who hates you, you gave them your <laughs> cell phone number because that's basically what it turns into. You have a take on something or you have a thought about something and immediately it's, you know, everyone's telling you what's wrong with the thought. And maybe the thought is wrong. I don't know. But, you know, it's it, it seems like wouldn't it be much better to be in a in a in a community of like minded people or or that super follows concept where you're paying for something that is again more intimate more conversational less vitriol spewing and you feel like you're actually getting something out of your experience on social media for maybe the first time in a really long time just saying that about twitter 
was making me laugh because I treat Twitter more like I'm a I'm a like I have a guest pass. Like I, I'm not a very frequent tweeter. Um, I don't jump into a lot of conversations, which I think is where Twitter is at its best. But every time I go onto it, I leave feeling like terrible. <laughs> I don't feel good and I'm not happy. So, but I keep going back but, and I keep going back because it's there. But like if Twitter went away tomorrow, for me, I think that my life would be better. Yet I won't actually be the person to, to sever it from my life. And I think that that's just one example of a problem that is occurring all over my life and all over other people's lives too. You know, we always talk about knowing your audience and I think that's an overused phrase, even though it's accurate, you really need to know who you're communicating to. But lately, and this might be my naivete, but lately I've found it's, I've been thinking a lot about how challenging it is to know your audience when you're communicating to them on a specific platform that you can't anticipate what else they're experiencing, seeing, going through an argument that might be playing out, something that they might get sucked in politically, and then here's your piece of content. Somewhere in the middle of that experience that if everything was equal would probably hit them perfectly because you can't anticipate the experience that they're having on this specific platform, it's not as, you're not as confident in, in that landing. So this, this shift, you know, in, in digital media here that we're kind of talking about, like it allows, I think for more of a, of, of this intentional relationship between brands uh, creators and 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 their followers and the people who are most connected to them um and i feel like it it helps to answer the question okay who am i communicating to well if you know they're signing up for something if you know they value it if you know they're interacting with you if you can see those results it makes the job a little easier i'm not saying it makes it simple it just makes it a little easier Cutting out a lot of that that noise, that stuff that dry, that's you know you're saying is driving you away from the platform, I think goes a long way to really getting back at the heart of Twitter, which is building relationships and, and the heart of social media in general. Completely agree. We've got to we've got to like turn this boat around. It's intentional, and I think that's what I like about it. You know, to Carly's point, like we got to do something about this, and like we talked about how like well, okay, well Instagram introduce that you're all caught up at the end of it okay but really you're still endlessly scrolling all the time like it's not an intentional change to change the way you feel when you're consuming it this is an intentional change or it has the benefit to be an intentional change now i don't know if people are going to pay for this stuff which is the big thing that we're not talking about here is is that you know is it quality enough like you talked before about the the um the subscription i have to the athletic like oh the athletic i saw the atlantic (laughs) I noticed. I didn't want to correct you. <laughs> I figured it would circle back at some point. Um, Good work. Thanks. That's teamwork. Um, I know that the quality of the writing is going to be worth my time. And I want the in- access to the information. 
So the super fan piece of everything, I can see people spending the money on those things to, to do that. I think Disney Plus is a really good parallel to this from the digital consumption piece or the streaming piece. You have people who are really passionate about Disney, like somebody else on this podcast. <laughs> you have people who are really passionate about Star Wars. You really so so you know it's going to be a worthwhile endeavor for you. I, I think you'll see that to some extent with 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 the super fans or super follows, I should say, model. But I don't know how common that's going to to or uh, you know is, is it going to attract more of a common follower? I don't know. I don't know if there's a growth model if it's sustainable. But I like the intentionality behind what it's trying to do. It's got away from let's just try to do it within the model that exists. And no, let's let's really branch off here and do this. If I may take a little side road here, I'm going to take back what I said before about no more streaming platforms because there's still one streaming platform that they haven't come out yet, come out with yet that I would sign up for in a heartbeat. And that is a basically like what Nick at Night was when we were kids, like yes. all old TV shows. Um, and I know the Hulu has a lot of them, but I think for me, it would make it feel more special if it was like branded as a classic TV network. That would be exciting. Do you have a name for this network? No, you're, what the, would be your you're, name? The, you're the name person. You come up with something. Okay, I'll work on it. We'll, we'll work. workshop this this yeah. concept. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone hates the algorithm. I mean, that's all people complain about. So the algorithm that our social networks have in place right now clearly aren't working for us. Do you feel like there's a way that we can improve that system? Well, I think everyone hates the algorithm because it's... First of all, it's an easy excuse because you feel like it's out of your control, even though the social networks will tell you it's pretty much a reflection on, you know, your experience when you're on 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 Facebook. I am a little bit skeptical of that, given all the stuff that we've talked about here. It would be really great if we could come up with individually our own algorithms like we are in charge of designing the experience that we want. You know, there's a reason why that doesn't exist. It's because it's really hard to to probably you know, cost that out uh, of, of what something like that would, would kind of be charged. But the only time that I think you will get to the experience that you want, whether it's with streaming or, or, or social, is when you are single-handedly building your environment and then playing within that environment. So you want us to make even more decisions <laughs> than we already have to make. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would be fine with making decisions if it's for me, like, you mm -hmm. know, and I think that's what we kind of crave is the individual relationship with, you know, the content, you know, it's, it's again, like it comes back to the relationship we have with whatever it is we're consuming. It's, you know, you're, you know, that's, that's, that's the brand that exists with, you know, with, with, with the company, that's the brand that exists with the, 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 you know, the show, uh, whatever it is, that's that's your show. You're proud of being a fan of that show. You're proud of being a fan of that musical artist. So like the the pay model of selecting what you want so it's your environment that you've handcrafted, I think that's the only way that we ever get to 
an experience that we've chosen and that we can self-select out of whenever we want, but it's not being it's not being determined or aided in the determination by the larger social network. I think that that is a, a brilliant idea. You know, I'm, I'm poking holes in it and saying this one more decision, but I think if it was something like a like a template and something that was simplified for us to be able to find what we want more easily. And I mean, I keep going back to this, but just like having access to less stuff, I think would be really helpful. I think that that would put a lot of people at ease. I just saw yesterday, two different people uh, that you and I have interacted with before share that they haven't been on social. And I, I kind of noticed, kind of didn't notice, but but when they said it, I was like, oh yeah, they haven't really been around. And I think that this last year has like pushed a lot of us to to our breaking point because I think that all of this would have ended up happening anyway, but just like so many other things that got accelerated because we were quarantined inside and like our social networks were the only place we could go. So I think that we just really let ourselves get overwhelmed by it. Like, I, I don't think that we are meant to use social 24-7 in the way that you and I have in the past and, and a lot of people still continue to do. I don't think it's it's not good for us. I think that's what was always desired by, you know, the Facebooks and, and, and other social platforms of the world. Um, I think that was the ultimate end game for them. Um, well, good job. <laughs> yeah. And I think it should make people mad. Mm -hmm. And I think it should, I think it should cause us to look at ourselves and ask, you know, what do we want out of these, out of this digital experience? Cause it's not going away. Mm -hmm. And I think the smart companies, you know, the article that we were referencing before talked a lot about, you know, everybody was always on the, on the hunt for the next Facebook and they would, ex they would, they would create an, an environment that, seemed an awful lot like the bones of Facebook, but it would have a different name to it or it would have a different, you know, color scheme to it or, you know, different types of reactions or whatever. And at the end of the day, it never really went anywhere because it was never going to beat the behemoth. Mm -hmm. But the, the answer is to create something so fundamentally different that it gives the people who are making the exodus away from the social channels now because they've just had enough a reason to hope that they can be a part of something that's bigger than them. They're going to pay for it, but it might restore their faith in this digital social environment that really harkens back to the original purpose of what it was set out to do. Yeah. Because when it comes down to it, you know, both of us have in different ways, uh, step back from social a little bit in since this year began. And it's not because we don't, well, you might not like people, but not because we don't like people or that we don't want community or we don't want to you know, be connected to people in, in our lives. I think it is just, I keep using this word breaking point and, and overwhelm, but it's like we were willing to give all of those things up because it was no longer worth it anymore. And I'm, I 
I think that more and more people are, are going to continue to do that until someone, one of these networks does makes, makes a change that helps our mental health. Well, that's what it comes down to, right? I feel like that's been such a big focal point really in, in, in over the last 10, 15 years, but in earnest, you know, over the last, let's say calendar year, just given everything mm-hmm. that we're dealing with is prioritizing mental health and prioritizing, you know, our, our well-being and the alignment of these social channels, you know, oversaturation, exposure to argumentative content, frustrating content, things that make you feel bad about how you're doing at something, you know, whether it's mom shaming or, you know, something with a political, you know, tinge to it. And the opportunity I think exists to take that movement that's existed in our, in our, in our country and create something that prioritizes how you can, you know, live within this digital world maintain some mental bounds and maybe even use these experiences to fulfill that. You know, we made a joke on one of our more recent episodes that it's a win for you when you're only watching one device as opposed to like in the middle of a, you know, of, you know, when you hit pause or a commercial break, looking at another device or maybe doing it as it's actually playing. And I have found lately that watching the crown or getting lost in something like that has been good for my mental health because it's something I want to be consuming. It's something that I feel like I can get lost in. It's no different than a book. It's no different than, you know, a, you know, a, a podcast or something like that where you feel like you're nourishing your soul. But you do realize that something like a podcast really does mirror what we're talking about here with what Twitter's trying to do. It's a it's a platform that is really intimate. It's just you and this other person or people and that's really good, I think, for, for, for us because it quiets the rest of the world and requires the rest of the noise. And I think if we can start to see these major social companies or these upstart social companies mimic that type of environment, we might have something here that could change the way that people look at social media and for the better. Do you think we should launch our own social network? <laughs> <laughs> well... It's been we a while a podcast, since I, since I, I pitched a yeah. crazy idea to you. It has been a while. I noticed <laughs> that. I was waiting for one to come, and it just hasn't. I thought you were doing it to be kind, but but maybe you were just saving it up for this for this yeah. big thing. You know, it feels like. I mean, look, it, it feels like the opportunity is there. You know, I'm not talking about us necessarily, but it feels like two the people. Opportunity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it feels like the opportunity is there. Like it feels like we're just at a point in time now where these discussions are happening, that we've been able to push through this, this, this period of bad social. And I have no doubt that we're not out of the woods, but it just feels like just us having the conversation about the possibility, no matter where it goes, I think is a win. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to say this. I'm proud to say that, if you go back and listen to any of our episodes about social media from, I would say, like 2019, 2018, we have one of our first episodes, I think, is called In Defense of Social Media, where I am very much defending social 
um, and a lot of these things that we're talking about. And I don't know if it's that the platform has changed or I have changed. I think I have probably changed more than than the platform, but I'm I'm happy to to eat my words because this is this is humanity. We evolve and if social media is going to be part of our lives, it needs to evolve with us. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at Pod4Creatives and let us know which stood out to you. I should go back to The Crown, though, because I, I've i only seen the first two seasons. I am obnoxiously hooked. All right. I just have to make the decision. Do I start from the beginning or just jump in with season three? This is like the first time that I'm ahead of you in something. I know. That never happens. Never, ever. I feel like I got to stay. See, now I'm going to rush through these next two, this next season and a half because I can't let you be. No, I'm going to text you on Sunday night and be like, I'm done. Yeah, you're going to say that at the end of season four. Like, can you believe what happened to Princess Diana? You did that to me for Stranger Things where you freaking told me like at the end of the first night, you were like, I did it. I already made through it. Let me know what you think of episode eight. And I'm like, I'm halfway through one right now. I hated that.